So anything before 2001, since that was when Lord of the Rings first started, I don't usually go for. And that's usually about it. I, however, heard Matrix is something I should watch, but I don't really know. I was told I should. What is someone's favorite movie from before 2001? Pretty Dancers? Dirty Dancing. What about you, Joseph? You're a great movie. You're a movie connoisseur. Before 2001, name one. Mars Attacks. Okay. Okay. Never seen it, but we'll have to watch it. Uh, Space Jam. Okay, I, I watched that one. Before 2001, my TV, my TV diet consisted of Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z. So I didn't watch really anything else besides this cartoon version of the Road to El Dorado. That was pretty cool. Um, but there was this really huge VHS set that my mom had. I never watched. I might have watched it once and thought, fallen asleep with her. I was a kid. It was Titanic, and uh, I knew that the Titanic was an old movie, so I didn't know that. You're old then, but but um, what was I saying? It's not in my notes what I'm saying. Hold on, I'm lost. This is why you write things down. Oh, okay. So Titanic, and I was in college, my first or second year, and. I didn't know what this really meant, but I heard there was a new Titanic out in theaters. I thought, I thought it was new, but it wasn't. So I was really excited. I had a girlfriend at the time, and I was like, I'm gonna take her to go see Titanic, because this has, uh, this has Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Yeah. Which I thought, was, I thought he was only like a new actor. And so I was like, that's, why, that's how I know this is new. So I went to go to the theater, and I thought, this is gonna be great. Um, I spent extra, like extra on it. It was like $20 a ticket. Um, and this was in Santa Fe. And um, I also expected it to be no more than about two hours. And so I vaguely remembered the storyline. And as it got halfway through, I'm like, man, this looks like just like the old one. They did really good at finding like, you know, similar actors. And then there was this point where after refilling my large soda twice, I really had to go to the bathroom. And the Titanic had just started sinking. And I thought, oh, surely, yeah, it's, it's almost over. Like, it's sinking. And little did you know that I forgot it takes 45 minutes for this thing to finally fall on, t on screen. And then it takes another 30 minutes for this old woman to explain why she threw this locket into the ocean. And by that point, I kept thinking, it, surely in two minutes it's over. Oh, surely in two minutes it's over again. And so I paid extra for a movie I'd already seen. And then I didn't realize how long it was gonna take, so I drank way too much soda. And what I began to realize about movies uh, and a lot of things our society does is that we like to start things without really, I guess, realizing what it's gonna cost to finish it. And that was kind of what happened that night, and I would never do it again. Uh, I'd never do that again. It was a waste of my money. Um, no, I didn't. I made it. I made it. Um, but after going, oh, I already saw that. But there are a lot of times, like I said, that we start things and our society kind of encourages to experiment with things, which by definition is, uh, has no definite reason to carry something out to its full effect, but just to your desired, you know, what you're trying to get to, but not the full effect of what you're doing. Does that make sense? 
our society really encourages experimentation. So that's why people come to school and they drop out. They didn't really figure and count what it would cost to finish. And they didn't have really sometimes any intention of finishing. That's why people start relationships and they don't, they don't continue with it for the rest of their life because they don't go into it saying, I'm in this for, I'm in this for good. Um, that's why divorce is so high nowadays. But tonight, we're going to talk about Jesus' response to some guys who told him that they wanted to follow him, uh, but had not quite considered what it was going to cost to finish it, um, especially with the lifestyles they had. So this is something Jesus cares about very much for each one of us, and we can see this in this passage, because when someone knows the price and still follows him, he gets quality, not just quantity. So that's why this is extremely important. And Jesus isn't afraid to tell people up front what this is going to cost. And if you want to leave, that's okay. Because you wouldn't stick around anyway if you, if you don't want to pay it. That's what he's trying to say. So if you bought The Great Physician by G. Campbell Morgan or already had it, and you thought you could stay ahead of me and thought I was going to move on from Andrew to John the Baptist or something, it's not happening. I'm jumping around, so... How you doing? Um, Tanner, I'm going to invite my good friend Tanner to come up and read our scripture and possibly pray for everything tonight. Um, he has my Bible. I don't have it. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Thank you. Good. I told him I was going to have him pray, and he was, he was really nervous to, to do that. Next time, Tanner, next time. Oh, you were prepared? You had one memorized? No, I'm okay. All right, so these guys <clears throat> have a lot in common with us in the room because there was something about Jesus that they knew was different. They knew that he had no equal, they saw Jesus and thought, man, I could follow him anywhere. They had felt that there was nothing comparable to being in his company. And if we're here in this room, it's most likely because there's something about Jesus that jumped out to us. There's something about who he is that drew us in. Something about Jesus captivated these men. And something about Jesus has captivated us. And maybe you don't think it's because of Jesus while you're here, but I know you're here because someone else is captivated by Jesus and they brought you. Yeah. And it's because that person who brought you looks like Jesus because the qualities you like about them, they have them because they follow Jesus. Something about Jesus has drawn these three guys in and has drawn us in. <clears throat> and what they're ultimately saying when they come to Jesus is, Jesus, we think you are so worth it that we want to follow you. We want to be around you. They want to travel behind him and do what he does. And the great physician 
has some pretty interesting responses to them that I think will apply to us. So let's pray and we'll look at them. Jesus, you have spoken to people for centuries. Lord, would you continue to speak to us tonight? Would you show people more of your glory, more of your goodness, more of who you are so that people fall more in love with you than they have before? May they know that you are real and that your love for them is more than they could ever imagine and that you are worth giving up everything. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So in this story, Jesus approaches two of these guys, but the first guy is kind of a party crasher. He invites himself into the conversation. He comes to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. And in the Gospel of Matthew, it says this guy was a scribe. And in the New Testament, scribes are everywhere. Who here knows what a scribe is? Yeah? Y'all know what scribes are? Uh, I, Mike, I thought Mike was waving his hand at me, but he's doing a writing symbol. Um, a scribe was someone who read the Old Testament law and interpreted it for the people. They became a really big deal during the exile to Babylon in the Old Testament and became an even bigger deal between the book of Malachi, the last one in the Old Testament, and Matthew, the first one in the New Testament, those 400 years. They became a really big deal because the prophetic voice went silent. So all they really had were the scriptures. And so people to interpret them were a big deal. So during this conversation with Jesus, scribes are extremely important. They would, for us, it's the way we would look at a governor or a senator or, you know, some highly elected uh, political official and say, man, you're really important. Like you, you do important things and what you say means a lot, I guess. And so because scribes were so important, they enjoyed a lot of luxuries. They enjoyed a lot of wealth and they enjoyed a lot of respect from people. So this guy's enjoying some comforts. And that's what this guy is like. And he says, Jesus, I see something in you that's worth it. I see that you have no equals and I want to be around you. And Jesus responds to this guy and says, look, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't even know where I'm going to sleep tonight. As of right now, I don't even have a place to go. Are you sure you want to come with me? And this guy says, hey, look, look, I'll go. No excuses. I'm all in. That's this guy's mindset. And Jesus says, hold on. You want to come and follow me, but I see something holding you back in your heart. I see that you're pretty addicted to comfort. You're pretty addicted to a comfortable lifestyle and the privileges that it has. You can come with me, but it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. This isn't prestigious. You don't follow me to be respected. You don't follow me to be a big deal. Right now, you are a big deal. But if you follow me, you're taking a step down. In the world's eyes, you're stepping down. Are you ready for that? I remember when I first started getting into this healthy Aquaman lifestyle that I'm trying to live. And I started watching a ton of YouTube videos till I finally found this one I particularly liked called Athlete X run by a guy who trains professional athletes. And so I started watching it, and at the very beginning of every video that says how to lose stomach fat, he always starts off by saying there's no way to get around nutrition. And if, if the nutrition isn't right, none of it will be. So basically he's saying, look, if you want to follow me, if you want to follow this healthy lifestyle, you're going to have to eat how I eat and work out how I work out. You can't do it your way, You have to do it this way to get to the level I'm at and the level I would like to stay at. In the Bible, the word follow means to travel behind someone, 
to go where someone is going and to do it the way they are doing it. In short, you do what they do and you do it how they do it. And that's what Jesus is saying to this guy. That's what he's saying to us. And I'd imagine that there are a few of us that like certain comforts. But to follow Jesus, we have to be okay not being comfortable. Jesus gave away the comfort of riches for you. So are we willing to give them away for him? Jesus gave away... Jesus was disliked by many people for you. So are we ready to be disliked for him? Jesus didn't let material possessions stop him from getting to you. So are we able to make sure that they won't stop us from getting to him? So how does Jesus deal with the problem of comfort? I don't think that Jesus is saying you can never be comfortable. There's no such thing as comfort. I think he's saying that there is a comfort I have that does not come from this world. I have a comfort that isn't determined by these things you so desperately want, these relationships you so desperately need, the praise you so desperately long for, and the money you so desperately cling to. My comfort comes from being loved by the one whose opinion is the only one that matters anyway. My comfort comes from my greatest treasure, my greatest possession being my relationship with the Father. And he didn't let anything stop him from going to the cross so that you could have that comfort too. It's actually the only comfort that can't be taken away from you. This was a fun thing I learned early on, that there's nothing in this world that you can love that someone can't find a way to take away from you, ever, except for Jesus. So, following Jesus means making his comfort your comfort. And in the eyes of the world, that's not comfortable at all. So, and then we have the second guy. Jesus comes to him, the scripture says, and says, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I've heard a lot of people ask questions about that one. So what does Jesus mean by let the dead bury their own dead? It seems pretty cold and it seems pretty hard to say that to someone. Jesus isn't saying this guy can't go to his dad's funeral. What Jesus is saying is that the things that are important to today's culture, leave that to the culture. You make me the number one priority in your life. To help, this, help us out a little, G. Campbell Moore goes on a boat with a man named George Adam Smith <clears throat> who grew up in India. And Smith was telling him a story about when he was living there and wanted to go to this remote area that he hadn't been to yet. So he approached a sheik and he said, hey, I want to go to this really remote area. I heard you've been there. I've never been there. Would you be my guide? And multiple times the sheik said no. He continued to ask and plead with him. I can't do it. So George Adam Smith kept asking. And finally he makes one final plea in front of the sheik's tent as he's sitting there. And this this man uses these exact words. And he says, sir, suffer me first to go and bury my father. His dad was sitting right there. He wasn't dead, and he didn't look like he was anywhere near dying. So what on earth does this mean? The custom in Middle Eastern societies was when you say, let me first bury my father, what you're saying is, let me fulfill all the expectations that my family wants from me. Let me be tied to my father and serve him until he dies. This isn't something like, here, let me go do this for a few weeks and I'll come follow you. This may be several years. This could be decades. 
And I'm going to be tied to my family and their expectations of me before I can be obedient to you. This second man, in short, gave more weight to his family's expectations of him than he did to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, let the world that isn't worried about making me a priority keep up with the standards of the world. You go and follow me. You make me the priority of your life. So much so that your family's expectations of you, that this world's expectations of you, whatever expectations you have for college, whatever expectations you have for whatever by whomever, you don't let that take precedence over me. I'm number one and everything else is number two. I remember when I first started loving Jesus, some of my family was pretty ecstatic I was a pretty mean little kid growing up. My mom's extremely sweet, and I was just little, this little like demon spawn thing. And she actually had a friend tell her one time, hey, I don't think it's okay how he talks to you. Like, you don't deserve to be treated like that. And you know it's bad when your mom's friend tells her, because people don't like being told stuff about their kids. I don't care. If my kids needs to be told something, you can tell me. But <clears throat> so the following Christmas Eve, I smack-talked her. I was like, I was talking back to her. And after realizing, you know what, I don't deserve this. She, like, she used to wear really big rings. And so I'm sitting there, and I said something stupid. And she just goes, wham, right into my face. And busts my lip on Christmas Eve in front of everybody. So I definitely deserved a lot, a lot worse. So she was pretty excited when I, when I gave my life to the Lord. So. But I wasn't, I had some family that wasn't too excited about me, about this. Some family didn't like that I was challenging the typical American Christianity mindset about how not costly it was to follow Jesus. I also kind of began to be away from home pretty often. It actually got to the point where I only saw my family once a month, if that, and they lived here in Las Cruces. I don't think there's any family that would be too happy about that, but I was consumed with friends who loved Jesus the way I did and that were consumed in wanting other people to realize this and love, that realize who Jesus really was also. And this wasn't a matter of right and wrong why they were upset. It was a matter of expectation for how they thought I should be living my life. And that's what Jesus is saying here. To follow Jesus means priority goes to Jesus. Let me have precedence over what you do and the expectations you put on yourself. That's what's happening to this guy. There's a clear clash between what society wants from him and what his family wants from him and following Jesus. This guy wants to follow Jesus, but he knows what his family expects from him. That kind of sounds a lot like our culture here. We're all pretty heavily influenced by our families. Missing a family event, it's like you killed someone, so no one forgives you. But to be honest, there are more important things in this world than family. And Jesus himself led the way in saying this. So I say that with his authority, not my opinion. He did say to honor your parents, but that doesn't mean letting their expectations of you be priority. Jesus gave more weight to spiritual family over blood family. To Jesus, obedience was always thicker than blood. So please hear me rightly. I don't think Jesus is saying to abandon your family and then say it's for him. But I do think he's saying, if you follow me, then you talk like me, even if you're in front of your family. 
You prioritize me and you spend your time like me, even if it conflicts with your family's expectations of you. Jesus isn't asking this man to do something he hasn't already done, by the way. Jesus made it clear that not even his own mother would stand between him and obeying God. If the person your family expects you to be conflicts with who God expects you to be, you make Jesus priority in that battle. You live how Jesus wants, not how your family wants, and not how society wants, because he is priority. And that's what he's telling this guy. So, lastly, we have this third guy. And it says, still another said to him, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts the plow, puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This statement, though similar to the last one, is actually a lower kind of statement. This one is interesting because in some way, I think this applies to each and every one of us in the room. What he means when he says, let me first say goodbye to my family in Middle Eastern societies, it means, first, let me enjoy all my family has for me. Let me revel in all they've, ha- they've prepared for me. Let me live life to the fullest, and then I'll follow you. I know I've thought this many times, and I've heard people say this many times. They'll say things like, oh man, Taylor, I, I do, I do want to follow Jesus, but I mean, this girl, like, I mean, she's pretty great though. I mean, I know we're sleeping together, but I mean, I'm still a Christian. I'm just, I'm just not there yet. I'm not ready to follow him yet. And so I'll hear things like this. Just let me, let me get this out of my system first. Just let me enjoy this a little and I'll go. This guy isn't saying no to Jesus. He's just saying not yet. Or how many times do we say, oh, Jesus, I want to spend time with you. I will come. But first, let, let me get to these other things right quick. Let me study for this test first. Oh, let me check my phone really quick before I get started with anything else. Oh, yeah, I want to be obedient. Just, just let me get done with this hard semester, and then I'll be faithful to you. Or, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I just want to live the college experience, and then I'll follow Jesus for real when I just don't like that stuff anymore, and I've moved on. This applies to everything, big and small, and it's saying... Very simply, let me do this, and then I'll make time for you. Let me give you an illustration to help you understand how insane this mindset is. Some people here are already married, some here are engaged, some here are dating, and some here are hopeful romantics. But imagine with me for a second, ladies, when you get proposed to, and if you already have, then imagine this same thing again, but with your current husband. You get proposed to, and you say yes, And the guy's like, man, that's so great, man. But before we set a a date on the wedding, let me go and live it up really quick. Let me go and enjoy all the things that being single has to offer. And then we'll get married. Or guys, she says, yes, I'll marry you. I'm so happy. But first, let me go get all the attention I can as a single woman. Let me go live up all the benefits of not being totally committed to you yet. And then I'm all in. Let me live this up first. Did you ever really have their heart if they said that to you? Were they ever really that interested in you? And that's what Jesus is getting at. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, Oh, young man and woman, when you are thinking of leaving the world, be afraid of these farewells. 
they have been the ruin of hundreds of hopeful people. They have been almost persuaded, but they have gone to their old companions just to give them the last kiss and the last shake of the hand, and we have, seen, we have not seen anything more of them. Before you know it, if you keep saying, oh, once, once this, then you, Jesus, you're going to pick up an endless cycle of another thing and then Jesus, another thing and then Jesus, and before you know it, you will have lost everything by neglecting the only important thing. Albert Barnes says, Religion is everything or nothing. He that is not willing to sacrifice everything for the cause of God is not really willing to sacrifice anything. I'm pretty much done. Justin, you can come up. I just have a little bit left. Jesus didn't say this to these guys because he wanted everyone to know that he was super serious about Christianity. He said this to these guys because this was what he was doing already. This is what it would take to follow him. Jesus didn't expect or need the comforts of this world. Jesus didn't make the expectations of his family and society his primary priority. And Jesus didn't look at the cross and say, hmm, you know, let me just live it up as Messiah here for a little while. Like, let me, let me do a few more miracles and let people follow me. And, and then I'll go do that stuff for all y'all. Like, just let me live it up first. Jesus didn't let anything stand between him and making progress towards the cross. Jesus looked at each one of you and said, nothing is going to stand in the way of me getting to you. Not comfort, not my family, not society, and not the next big thing I need to commit to first. Nothing was going to stand in the way of Jesus getting to you. So is anything going to stand in the way of you getting to Jesus? Last week, Alex mentioned this, the idea of the expulsive power of a new affection by Thomas Chalmers. And the idea is that you have something in your hands right now. Everyone in this room most likely has something in their hands right now, like comfort, like expectations from family, expectations from society, or a lack of commitment, real commitment to Jesus. And you won't let go of it just because someone points out all the things that are wrong with it. That's not how the mind works. You will only let go of it if you are offered something greater. My daughter Charlotte is about 16 months old, and she's pretty good at sharing. Uh, They tell us at daycare she has no problem. If someone sticks out their hand for a toy, she just gives it to them. Um, Except, except this one toy. It's like, I guess, a corded telephone. And she screams bloody murder if someone tries to touch it. And so they don't know what to do to try to get it away from her sometimes. But I know that if I walk up to her with a cracker... That toy no longer exists. She's very much like her mom. You bring, you bring Wendy's and all is forgiven. But I'm just, I love you. But, but seriously, Charlotte has no problem of letting go of what's in her hand because I've brought her something greater. As I was writing this, um, I was pretty confident that the Holy Spirit was going to bring to your guys' minds the things that you're holding on to that just won't let you grab hold of Jesus because you can't hold on to both. And if you don't know just yet, the best way to figure it out while, we, while Justin begins to play and we're just going to have a time to sing um, and worship uh, is to ask yourself this question. 
what is that thing? I'm just, I, I hope the Lord wouldn't ask me to give that up. What's that thing, that one thing? Is it, is it being single? Is that hard? Is it breaking up with someone that you shouldn't be with? Is that hard? Is it waking up early and giving up some sleep because that's hard to do? Is it saying, look, I can't go and spend two days every weekend with you, Dad, like I love you, but there's things of the kingdom I need to do. I mean, whatever it is, I'm, I'm very confident the Lord will bring it to your mind if you ask him. I want you to know what it is. Because there is something greater in your midst. No matter how you see what's in your hands, there is someone greater in your midst. Jesus saw you as worthy to let go of everything else. And we definitely are not worth that. If you've ever really looked at yourself, we each know we're not worth that from someone like him. And so during this song, I want you to think about what you're holding on to that is keeping you from Jesus. And then I want you to ask Jesus, to help you see that he really is greater. That's kind of been the only thing I've been asking recently, is to just let me see you again. Because that's what helped me fall in love with you. Not all these smart things and all this great historical facts. It was seeing you, not being the smart guy. So just ask him to help him see you, to help you see him. He really is the greater comfort. He really is the greater priority. And he really is the greater commitment. He is greater than whatever it is you're holding on to. It's not a matter of opinion. It's just a matter of sight. And so if you could just open your eyes and see Jesus for who he really is, you will know that you have someone greater in your midst. So I'm going to pray. And Justin's just going to sing a song. It'll be like worship at the beginning. You can stand there. I'd like you all to stand when this happens. Um, there's no need to come to the front if you don't want um, but it's just to be here and to sing to Jesus or during that time to just sit there and let him talk to you and you can pray right there as you stand there and if some of you this is something that came to my mind if some of you have a problem with what people think of you then I think one good way to get rid of that real fast is while you're worshiping I would just lift your hands to Jesus that's a really good and easy sign of surrender, not caring what the people around you think. So there's just my two cents on that. But I'm going to pray, and Justin's going to sing our one song, and we'll still be done on time. <clears throat> Jesus, will you please open our eyes to see you? You have brought us here because we have already seen a glimpse so will you help open our eyes more? If we have lost sight of that with the many things we've been doing for you for years, would you open our eyes to see it again? Would you bring us back to the simple pursuit of just you, of just hearing your voice, of just seeing your face, and of just being loved by you? There's nothing comparable to that, Lord. Holy Spirit, please, may every heart in this room experience you tonight not for anyone's glory but yours we love you you are the greatest thing that has happened to all of us so thank you for loving us Lord and thank you for being here we love you so much in Jesus name Amen